the Tell Me Podcast. I'm your host, Ilya. On this episode, I have a chat with an old friend of mine, uh, going back to the good old high school days, Daryl Villanueva. Uh, Daryl and I attended the same high school together in Kuala Lumpur. Uh, Since then, Daryl's gone on to do some pretty amazing things uh, in the world of advertising, uh, taking him to a variety of places um, all over the world. He's had a hand, uh, I'd say, numerous culture-shifting campaigns uh, from the iPod in the early 2000s, uh, introduction of gaming consoles like the PlayStation, uh, and in my opinion, I'd, I'd probably put him at the last generation of ad guys before um, this this takeover that we're having uh, with social media. Uh, after his incredible career, Daryl decided to follow his passion uh, for motorcycles and founded his company Bandit Nine. At uh, Bandit Nine, he and his team pushed the limits, and in I'd say in some ways he's also sort of, they, they set new benchmarks in the world of uh, not only motorcycles, but design, uh, engineering, art, manufacturing, um, everything in, in, in the um, in the process of manu- manufacturing a motorcycle. Um, Bandit 9 has managed and continues to blend all these elements. Uh, like I mentioned, engineering, design, art. Um, they, they make uh, custom runs of motorcycles and they make nine pieces per run. Uh, these pieces are bought by royal families, collectors, uh, and even museums all over the world. Uh, because a new company, new family, and a pandemic wasn't enough, Daryl's also opened up an art gallery called Van Daryl, uh, located in Saigon, uh, where he currently resides. Uh, I suppose the idea here was to bring art, uh, and amazing art, to people without in my these these are my words without the the sort of pompousness or the aura of snobbishness that is sometimes present uh, in an art gallery, um, and I think throughout our chat, one thing was certainly clear, uh, and that you know having talent, a vision, idea is not is not enough. Um, it's the hard work, the discipline behind it all, uh, that will sort of get you where you need to go. Anyways, I'm gonna stop ranting. <laughs> Uh, I appreciate all of you listening in, uh, and I hope you enjoy this one. Um, so here we go with Daryl Villanueva. All right, Daryl, thanks for being on the podcast, mate. Um, so just for the listeners, uh, I'll, I'll do an intro anyways, but uh, Daryl and I, we went to the same high school together in uh, in Malaysia. Uh, that's how we got to know each other. And then over the years, um, you know, Daryl's a little bit older than me. Um, I'll, I'll just let that uh, cat out of the bag. Um, I think when I was, uh, you know, in, in school, it wasn't so much maybe that I looked up to you, but it was a bit of a, um, you know, when you can sort of see someone that you think is going to do something special in the future, there were, there were quite a few of that in, in our, in our school, I think. Um, and it was always, for me, it was always like just a, an awesome sort of, um, experiment, I suppose, to just be like, Oh, I wonder what Daryl's going to get up to next. And, um, and you haven't disappointed, man. So, um, I was like, need to get you on the podcast. 
that's uh, strange because I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, you know, what one day you're you're playing drums in the uh, you know the school talent show, and then the next thing you're uh, <laughs> you graduated and off you go to college. Um, all right, man. So the way the way the podcast is formatted, so um, we'll start from your beginnings, man. So you know, tell me about um, where you grew up. Um, you know, what your your household was like, that sort of thing. Sure. So um, how would I do this? So I was born in the Philippines. I grew up in Hong Kong. Um, went to school there, went to school in Australia, went to school in Malaysia with you. Um, after I graduated high school, I went to study in art school in LA. I was working there for a while. Um, and then I went to uh, Dubai, I think. And then Vietnam for a little while. And then I did Beijing for a little while. And then I went back to Vietnam. Um, my household was good. Man. I, I mean, obviously, when you're growing up, it's a bit tough. <laughs> it's normal, <laughs> you know. Um, but really, looking back, uh, no complaints. In fact, we're pretty damn lucky. I would say, you know, um, I had both my parents, very loving, very caring, very wise. Uh, hopefully, they pointed me in the right direction. <laughs> Remains to be seen. <laughs> with my brother you know so pretty much a happy home i was lucky and what did, what did your um your folks do like uh with all the that sort of bouncing around the globe that expat sort of community um yeah yeah so my dad was an expat he was working for philip morris okay um i don't know what the exact number of years is so what's that 1990 i would say till 20 something so maybe almost 20 years, 15, 20 years, yeah. something like that. Um, my mom was an accountant uh, for a while when we were really young. Then uh, I think eventually she transitioned over to being, um, what do you call it? What's the PC way of saying it now? I, housewife. A, a stay-at-home <laughs> mom, yeah. Housewife, I guess. The, the, uh, yeah, the she, lady of the house, yeah. <laughs> yeah the lady of the house. And, and she, I remember it was a pretty conscious decision because she wanted to spend more time with us, you know. Um, yeah. We were growing up, obviously, and got to leave the mess. Um, but yeah, that's what we did. We bounced around quite a bit, and I told myself I'd like to do the same thing, you know, um, live in a few different places as well. So I was fortunate enough to do that. Yeah, nice. Did, did you, um, do you think you, you know, we'll go into your work and stuff later on, but uh, the influences of your surroundings, the culture, the the, yeah, the, you know, the people, the interactions, do you think that all sort of pulled together and, and, and affected the way that you saw the world through your ad days and, you know, now into what you're doing now? Definitely, man, definitely. And, you know, um, especially now being a, a father, it's freaking important. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because we traveled a lot, Malaysia was really good. You know, I haven't found that kind of, I don't know what the word is, closeness. Yeah, I, I sort of, um, I know we went to school together, but I, I always saw it as like a community, like a, almost like a, tr a little tribe. Like everyone knew everyone's names. You knew the parents, you knew the teachers. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was, yeah, like a community more than just, you know, your bog standard school. Like it's hard to explain. Like I keep trying to explain it to people, but I, I don't, I don't have the words for it. Yeah. 
understand it. It's very, very hard to explain it, and it's extremely rare. Yeah. So I'm not sure what the magic formula was in that place, but something about it was really, really special. And I'm like, you know, um, to be honest with you, I haven't found friends as close as, you know, the ones that we made back then. Yeah. Um, and um, I'm just trying to think. It, it was just a really good opportunity. You know what I mean? It was a nice place to grow up, you know, and especially during our formative years. Yeah. So I, I, I think, I think timing wise in KL, especially at the time it was, you know, still that developing country it wasn't so much. I mean, it was a concrete jungle, but not to the extent that it is now. We still had a bit of a jungle in our backyard, so you could still kind of do wild things. Uh, and then, you know, when we got to sort of the high school sort of period of our lives going out and stuff, it was a bit like the Wild West where, you know, the rule of law maybe was a bit gray in that sense. Um, and so we could still maybe in a sense be kids and be wild, but then, you know, you meet people from everywhere else as well. And there's that relaxed environment where you could just let your hair down and, I think you're not having social media was a big influence as well. So that you were in the moment. Uh, you're not, you know, just having a happy snap to have for the likes and that sort of thing. Me too, man. I, I'm not a, a social media guy. Yeah. I'm completely against it. This is a different for a different day. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But um, that's a really good point. And I love not like looking at it now. I, really appreciate the fact that we did not grow up with social media yeah man i mean like you were saying you know, as a dad like I'm, I'm a dad of two now as well it's just it's it's sort of a, a scary place to sort of put your mind at in a few years time um so you know artistically like i mentioned before playing the drums and all that sort of stuff where where did you sort of are you the artsy one in the family or um was that something that you sort of actively worked at or no i'm a terrible artist <laughs> Really? So, um, see, this is another thing about MKIS, man, that I must say is, okay, so my folks are not, they're more academic, yeah. I would say. My brother is the one that's more naturally artistic. Me, I had to work at it, you know? <laughs> I really, really had to, uh, I was going to swear there. <laughs> that's all good, man. It, that's why I have the explicit label on this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I really, really had to work on it. And, um, you know, and I guess that's a good thing. And that's the thing about MKIS is that's what it taught me anyway, um, is that you can do whatever the hell you want to do. You just have to work. You know, we, for example, we didn't, we didn't have like a thousand kids, yeah. right? Meaning, um, you know, uh, if you wanted to play the varsity team or, you know, in the jazz band, you had to be the best of the best. Yeah. It wasn't like that. It was more like um, the teachers were kind of forced to make us better. <laughs> you know, they had I mean? to work for their money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it worked, in yeah. my opinion. You know, the, there are a lot of bright kids that came out of that school. And um, it's because we had really great teachers and the kids really worked hard at it. And so... You know, the value of working hard was kind of ingrained. Yeah, I, I think that sort of, um, yeah, maybe, I don't know what the word is, but maybe like a, a nurturing aspect to it where you knew some, you know, you knew a kid wanted to play uh, the guitar, maybe not the greatest, but yeah, let's let's nurture, you know, this 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 child and, um, you know, help him or her develop their skill set and then <laughs> pray so, for the best. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, but I think it's okay, man. I'm, 
maybe it's because I'm not naturally talented. <laughs> I'm not a gifted guy, you know. But, um, you know, if you're willing to put in the the work, you, you can still accomplish quite a lot. Man. In fact, you know, um, I've seen a lot of talented folks without the work ethic to back it up. Yeah, usually they don't. Yeah, you know what I, I mean, mean what, one of my favorite quotes is, uh, you know, any, anything that you could ever want is on the other side of hard work, uh, and you know, I think yeah. I think that's pretty true. Like. Yeah, um, what was what was your first sort of uh, I guess artistic outlet? Was it the drum? Because I, I remember you prolifically for me being uh, the, the drummer in that. You know, you guys covered a lot of uh, was it Red Hot Chili Peppers or Metallica, one of the two. Um, yeah. Uh, so so was it was it music first or was it you know uh, your, your your canvas or what was it? <laughs> yeah. Um, how would I put it? What was my first creative outlet yeah. is that it yeah yeah it's probably the drums man music i i would say um we started when we were when we were really small you know what i mean so um there was an advantage there i guess um and also i came from australia where they took music extremely seriously yeah okay school um so i was taught by uh, a really great, you know, um, what, what, Men at Work. Men at Work, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that guy was um, the drummer. There was actually my teacher. Okay, wow. Um, and, um, so yeah, the drums was definitely my first outlet. It was probably the only thing I felt like I was good at when I was going to school. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. Not like a math wizard. I suck at chemistry um, and all that. I wasn't a terrible student. I was fine. Yeah. But um, excelling, I would say, probably music. Yeah. Okay. And do you still play now? I still play the guitar. Yeah. Yeah. I'll pick it up every now and then. But the drums is a completely different animal. You know, I don't have the space yeah. for it anymore. And obviously, my neighbors are going to take mine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got to move out to the countryside like I did, man. And uh, you have all the no. space in the world. <laughs> um, all right. So, We'll go uh, past high school. So college, uni, um, you said you went to the States for that. Was it LA? That you... Yeah, I did. That's right. Yeah. LA, I studied at Art Institute of California. I was in Santa Monica. Okay. That was, that was fun, man. That was fun. Um, it was not easy. It's very difficult, actually. I would call it, I, I keep telling everybody, it was like, um, maybe I should compare it with you. It's like SWAT training. <laughs> you know they literally beat you not literally they will throw your work in the trash kind of thing okay you know? yep cut through tiny error they'll just discard it you know even though it took hours to you know um, create uh, if it gets damaged in the car <laughs> or somebody runs into it while you're walking and you're like you know corners are, are not perfect whatever <laughs> it is you, yeah. it goes straight Damn. Um, okay. <laughs> and I'm not. I'm not like. I'm not exaggerating. This is like true stories. <laughs> um, so I went from Malkiera, where I, you know, I, I, I wasn't a terrible student, but school definitely was not like a priority. <laughs> you know. Uh, and then I went to art school, where all of a sudden it became everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So that was a bit of a, a shocker for most people. 
Um, but I took it definitely uh, very, 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 very seriously uh, and consumed me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it became your life, basically. It became my life. Um, all of a sudden, you know, it, it's really like turning on a switch. And yeah. I enjoyed it. What, what then, was that with that um, sort of, uh, you know, that uh, harshness, maybe was it in like, did you feel that it was like a toxic sort of thing? Or was it just like, this is how we're going to sharpen every single part, we're, you know, we're going to sort of black, uh, you know, blacksmith, like, and, and really forge these people into into who we want them to be sort of thing? Yeah, it's more like that. Like they break you down so that they can build you up. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Is that accurate? I yeah. know what the uh, um, military analogy is. I mean, that, that's what it like, you know, you hear about, um, I think the most famous one is probably like the Navy SEALs. They go through Hell Week and it's just, um, yeah, it's just breaking people down to, to, you know, to see what they are like at the worst of times. Because, you know, mm-hmm. no matter what you do in training, it's always going to be worse in the real world. Um, so, so, yeah. Um, so I think in that sense, it definitely prepared me. And in my opinion, it's lost nowadays. Yeah. So we were taught to take crap, <laughs> yeah. you know, abused uh, in a sense that, you know, this sucks. This is not good enough. You didn't come up with enough ideas. What is this? This is really sloppy, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it hurts. <laughs> but when you come out of it, you're way more prepared for the real world because um, your boss is not even going to you know, give you that time of day. Yeah. That and, um, you know, you're, you're out there actually trying to make a living to put food on the table and this and that. Like, there, there's so many more pressures outside of, you know, that sort of um, academia setting that okay. if you can't handle, I suppose, yeah, like your criticisms... Uh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. So it's, and, and I don't know. Okay, um, from my experience, uh, especially now that I'm older, right, uh, and I talk to the younger folks, I, I sound like a what do you call that? I sound like an old fart. <laughs> but that you know, mental toughness is is almost gone. Yeah, you know. Uh, when I say I need more, 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 do it again, try again. It's not good enough. You know, they'll cry or they'll break down, quit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they quit. Yeah, um, and then they'll go try something else. So uh, uh, I'm not really nothing, nothing. I guess that's just how things are now. You know. Yeah, it's just that shift, that cultural shift that we're at now. Um, there's that saying, you know, like uh, hard times make you know. And, and just to be PC or whatever, like I'm just going to use the word men, but you know, use women yeah. as well. But like hard times make hard men, you know, hard men make good times, good times make soft men, soft men make bad times. Like, you know, that sort of continual cycle. Um, and I think yeah. you hear it in a lot of industries as well. It's not, um, you know, specific to, to one, uh, one, yeah, sector or one industry. It's, you know, even in the, in the police, like, um, it's, it's a lot of a softly, softly approach and it's just adaptation to the times, I suppose. But, um, the thing is I would never compare it to the police because I'm sure there's like some psychological factors in there in actual danger. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, so. but, but, but the, you know, there is a thing where, uh, I suppose like, I think the age old saying has always been, you know, you want your police force to represent like what your, your uh, population is like. So, you know, you can't have everyone that's sort of this, you know, gritty, resolved, uh, you know, mental toughness sort of human, like, 
you're going to get mixed bags and, and, uh, you know, open up the the recruitment to all sorts of people. And yeah, yeah, it's just the way it is, I suppose these days. Um, so did you, so with, with uni, so did you, um, have like internships or were you working while you were at uni? How how does that work? Yeah, I did. That was um, ridiculous. man. (laughs) That was kind of ridiculous. I, um, can't remember but it's pretty early on so i started working when i was like 18 or 19 or i took on an internship when i was really young yeah at the at the time it was one of the best places uh best ad agencies in the world not not just in america the world yeah um, so we used to do you know all the uh, apple ipod work you know the dancing silhouettes you know oh, alien yeah, yeah. Re- uh, culture shit thing stuff yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> how would I put this? I, I remember my schedule, man. I, I really, you know, in LA you have to drive, right? But there's always traffic. Doesn't matter what time of day. <laughs> yeah. You get up at four or four thirty. Get in the car so that I get to my class by six. I would be there for from six to ten. And then I would drive straight to work. And then um, I'd work there until like eight or nine or something crazy like that. And then I would drive home. Yeah. And I did this for three years. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I did this for three freaking years and I couldn't take it anymore. You know? Yeah. Um, it's not so much the work that I couldn't take anymore. I couldn't take the drive, the traffic. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I... I did my internship at one of the best places for about, I'd say eight months until I got hired. And then I just couldn't take this driving business anymore. And so I decided to, to get out of LA. But it was a good experience. Um, I learned quite a lot. And I think um, they taught me something really cool. So they, usually you work in teams, right? Yeah. Um, so for me, they paired me up the youngest guy, the newest, the newbie, with the most experienced guy, you know? Right. And so, you know, um, you get to hone your craft and uh, develop really, really fast. Um, and there's no, at the time, at the time, okay, there was no hierarchy. So best idea wins, regardless of your, uh, regardless of your rank. You know? And I really, um, but not all places operate like that, I must say. Yeah, well, and so you, was that at the same firm your entire time that you were at uni? Um, what do you mean? That, that company that you were working for um, doing the internship, you, you stay, did you stay with them throughout your entire degree? or? Um... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I finished my degree really quickly too. So oh, okay, yeah, gotcha. Like two, two and a half years, I, I, I did not take any breaks. I remember. Yeah, I just smashed through everything. Um, Maybe I had like two weeks a year, (laughs) something like that. Um, And then um, I I juggled both for a while and I did like a year of not, of of purely working. Yeah. So there was like a year, a year and a half of doing both and then another year uh, solely working. What what was the, um, the, I suppose maybe the hiring process like on on their side? Like, 
I would imagine, you know, LA being, um, and that company specifically being, you, you know, the sort of the best in the world at the time, the competition would have been, you know, pretty fierce. Um, what do you think, uh, went through their mind when they hired you? Like, what did you have over somebody else? That is a really good question that I have never thought about. What did they see in me? Maybe that, I mean, how would I put it? So obviously it's the portfolio, right? Yeah. You know, you have a lot of work that you do. A lot of students have great work. You know what I mean? So yeah. what they saw, maybe I was willing to work my ass off. <laughs> that, that hard work again, you think they, they you know, that might've translated in, 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 you know, how you came across? Yeah, probably, probably. Because yeah. they, they saw me slave away for eight months working for free. Yeah. In fact, probably dished out cash to work there because of my gas. <laughs> the gas is good. <laughs> um, they probably saw that. And, um, I don't know what they saw. Maybe I can present shit. No, I'm not really sure. That's a good question that I haven't really thought about. There we go. One, one for the... Uh... Okay. <laughs> One for the introspective uh, moments, you know, when you're, uh, I usually have my introspective moments in like the pub when I'm like in the urinal, like, <laughs> oh yeah, I should have thought about this then. <laughs> yeah. um, we, we were chatting about it just before, but so in, in the ad, you know, like uh, the ad world or uh, what do you want to profession, yeah. you know, when, when this was a time period, like we were saying, sort of before social media, I think maybe Facebook would have been out. Um, yeah. your, your MySpace, that sort of thing. How, like, looking at the ad space now, um, you know, when you have things like uh, products being placed to influencers on Instagram and TikTok and being sold that way, you know, how, how do you yeah. think that has changed the game? I hate that shit. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I really, really am just 100% against the stuff. Yeah. You know, because I think it's a disease. You know, um, this is not how real life is. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, do you, do you think it's killed the creative process as well? Like, yeah. Yeah. Because for, you know, uh, advertising done well, in my opinion, it's art. Yeah. Okay. Like you could create like a short film, you know, a 30 second film that's like really beautiful. Yeah. Um, you know, with thought used to do it. Lots and lots and lots of brilliant directors work in advertising before to do yeah. these wonderful Films. And uh, well, um, this social. Sorry, <laughs> no, I, <laughs> you know I, I'm with you, man. Yeah, yeah. Kardashian showing off, you know, lipstick is just. I, I get it. I get it. That's because there's like a lot of girls watching, you know, or yeah. whatever, um, watching, and it's probably really effective, no doubt. But it's not for me. I would say that's not my kind of. That's not why I would get up to work yeah i think like you know i mean this is from a complete outsider super ignorant in the ad world um but like for me i think a good ad or a great ad is uh one that sort of evokes some sort of an emotion uh out of of a person but i think on top of that it's like you know you're you're still you're selling a product obviously but Mm -hmm. like to to be able to evoke that emotion out of a mass group of people because you know it's depending on the industry obviously so you look at like your your super bowl ads for instance like i I remember budweiser several years ago had this ad of a dog and a horse 
and like the horse goes missing and the, or the dog goes missing. One, anyways, they find each other and it's still, you know, this happy ending at the end, but it's like a, like a mini, mini movie. Um, it felt a yeah. bit like uh, like babe, you know, that, that pig uh, movie when we were kids, but yeah, it was like this, this over, you know, and I'm not a Budweiser fan whatsoever, but I was like, maybe I'll get a Budweiser today. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like just, just that. Yeah. Emotional uh, connection, I suppose. Like it's got substance. Yes. You know what yeah. I mean? You feel something it entertains you it makes you laugh you know yeah. it makes you cry it makes you think yeah um, i cannot say the same man. i cannot say the same about this i don't want to shit on it anymore <laughs> no, it, i mean it's it's just lazy it's like you know yeah you, you chuck lip gloss you chuck lip gloss to a kardashian and you know a billion dollars later there's your empire like created like it's 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 crazy <laughs> it, it's not healthy no. I, I, I would argue that it's not healthy. Um, it's just, it gives you this impression that life is like that, you know? Well, yeah. You might accidentally think that you're a, a failure because um, Kim Kardashian rolls in private jet and you don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? This yeah. is like, uh, <laughs> that's, no. All right. That's all. Ending this conversation on the social media side of things. <laughs> um, <laughs> can you talk about your your very first project, if you remember it, that you were paid and then your last project that you worked in the ad game that you were paid for. Um, okay. So the first project that I was ever paid, that's a good question. Uh, I used to work for the, so the same ad agency. I used to do PlayStation work. Okay. Now, chronologically, it's a bit fuzzy. Um, but the biggest thing that we probably did at the time was the launch for the PlayStation 3. Yeah. So this I'm is like really showing the... your age now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, PlayStation 5, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the launch of the PlayStation 3, and it, it's uh, I'm like one of the first few guys that saw the machine. And, uh, you know, I, I remember that very clearly. It's pretty special, man. Yeah, nice. That's one of the things that we did. We launched it in North America. Um, you know what E3 is? Yeah, the big sort of gaming convention or yeah, like electronic big... consumer convention. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, E3, um, the PlayStation 3 was massive. It was yeah. the big thing for that uh, particular year. I think it was 06, was it? 05? I can't remember. You know, so it was pretty cool. I got to see my work on giant giant billboards you know it was plastered on the staple center yeah wow. i haven't worked on anything that physically large yeah uh, ever again <laughs> <laughs> uh the last one i did was i was in beijing for volkswagen yeah that was pretty cool too um so it's evolved you know so before we would do oh, I, I would do television and you know billboards and things like that you know the last thing i did was i created a car uh, in china uh, for volkswagen which is weird is this so, the uh the people's car is that yeah how did you know that well okay. I, I stalk you daryl obviously yeah no i think we how did i, I think, uh, yeah. I think so, we spoke uh, to like a mutual friend and he told me about it but um anyways yeah <laughs> he uh what's this called yeah i did that when did i do that 20 10, 11, 12, something like that. Yeah. Um, that was cool, man, I must say. So we got, well, the, the thinking was this. Um, 
we teamed up with the people of China, you know, uh, understood what they wanted in a car, you know, so they gave us their concepts, their ideas, uh, their problems. And we used that as a brief um, for the designers at Volkswagen to create a car for the people. Okay. So yeah, that's a different kind of advertising. So, so did exactly. you did you physically like did you guys physically make a car? Is that yeah? Like a work yeah. was it a, was it a working model or like a just a concept? Uh, you know, non functioning concept. But I don't know if it, I don't think it went into production. Yeah, um, because going into production is a completely different animal too. Yeah, um, but I believe they used some of our um, ideas and tech into future cars. Okay, well, wow. you know what I can't remember specifically which ideas. Yeah, um, I can't remember now, but yeah, we actually had a car and, and uh, put it in the Guangzhou Auto Show. I, they have they have a bunch of auto shows in China. China's huge. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, they popped it around. Like that. that was pretty cool. I suppose um, uh, not a bad segue into you know the the project that you you started up, Bandit Nine. So was that the first taste of maybe like automotive? sort of tinkering that you that you had with that project uh, you know had you done anything like that before it was not the first i would say i i started tinkering when i was still in vietnam actually okay. um but it's like minor 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 jobs like you know paint this a different color swap out the seats for a different kind of leather kind of, that, that kind of shit like like mo mo modding basically like modifications like yeah. here and there minor, minor. And then in Beijing, when I moved there, I remember I couldn't find a motorcycle that I really liked. You know, I didn't want to spend cash on. Yeah. So I uh, I commissioned a, a shop to help me build what I wanted. Well, okay, which, cool. Which is still pretty ugly. <laughs> <laughs> back, it's like really ugly. But at the time, I was like, great, this is good. Is it like the uh, you know like Tony Stark's like Mark One sort of suit? Just yeah. It's like that, just less genius. <laughs> <laughs> but that kind of rust, you know, yeah. um, so polished. But that's a really good example. You know, uh, you have to start somewhere. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And and um, so with so yeah, Bandit Nine. Obviously, your your uh, your 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 first baby. I'll say. Um, yeah. Were you were you still working? Uh, while starting up, you know, your startup effectively, um, or yeah. did you, did you sort of leave the ad game and then, and then, you know, s start from the ground up with Bandit 9? Not that cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm risk averse. I would you, don't, say. you don't throw caution to the wind sort of. Uh... Yeah, no, man. Um, I'm a little bit more of a risk taker now, strangely. Okay. <laughs> Now that my son's born, I take risks. Yeah. Um, um, no, uh, before I would, it, it was really calculated then. So I thought of the idea of starting a motorcycle shop. And then I had an escape plan. I, I you know, I, I calculated how much I would need um, to survive an entire year. Yeah. And then I worked like a bitch <laughs> for two years. <laughs> And saved as much as I possibly could so that I would, you know, prepare for total, total failure, as in nobody buys anything for an entire year. Yeah. Um, 
And once I was ready, I took the, took the leap. It wasn't really a leap anymore at that stage. I was able to more confidently leave my job. Yeah. See, um, like for my, I, I don't know if this is your train of thought and you maybe tell me if I'm right or wrong, but like people who sort of just leave what they're, you know, their, um, let's say their stable income, stable jobs to start up something new. Um, and then they, they leave, you know, sort of cold Turkey, start something new. I feel like there may be sort of judgment errors in some, you know, everyone's different, obviously, but like when you're, when you're, when you haven't set yourself up with a bit of a security net, if you will, you might make decisions that are more in the short term because you need to put food on the table because you need to pay rent, whatever it may be mortgage. Um, Whereas the way that you're doing it, you could maybe play more of the long game and go, well, I've saved up this money. I'm still employed. I can still make decisions on this company. Yeah. My division of time might be, you know, uh, I might have to allocate a bit, a bit more down the track with the project. Um, But to me, like you can make better decisions. Is is that maybe how you looked at it? That's exactly how I looked at it. Um, And it's still how I look at things. Um, Now, how do I put this? So there are really brave guys that, you know, take on loans. Yeah. Leave their job to go start their dream. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds crazy to me. That sounds really, really crazy and risky. Um, but, you know, obviously it's their life. You can do whatever the hell you want to do. Yeah. But what I see potentially is, how did I put this? There are so many unknown factors. You know what I mean? Yeah. That you're going to have to navigate through. Do you really, really want to think about making decisions that, I don't know if they're good or bad, obviously, but it's money-driven decisions. Yeah. You know, like you said, it's a short-term thing. I, I need to make rent or I need to put food on the table. Yeah. I feel like these are not good decisions, you know, when it comes to business. No, I, yeah, agree. And, and that's why when, when you were saying, you know, that you were saving this money up, well, yeah, it makes complete sense to me. Like, and and again, there are there are brave people out there who who, yeah, just you know uh feet first into the ocean sort of thing um uh and and they're successful as well so you know not taking anything away from it everyone has their own way of doing things but um yeah i get get the the so how how would i put it my my thing is i don't want the bank chasing me for you know (laughs) for that loan yeah number one you know there's so many factors that i don't know about yeah but the one thing you're goddamn sure of is you got to pay the bank back. That is terrible for me. I'm not that kind of guy. But uh, at the same time, there's something to be said about, you know, you have to make it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, there's something cool about, not cool, but. The sink or swim sort of mentality. Yeah, sink or swim mentality. That's it. You know, you got to make it work. And it's quite powerful, you know, because, uh, having a fallback plan, you know, is not, that's not always good too. Yeah. Sometimes you really just got to make it work. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's, there's it's, a, it's certainly a, a balance of yeah, having that security blanket and, uh, or, you know, just, yeah. just running. Um, can, can you just briefly 
just talk about um, you know what Bandit Nine is? That's a good question too. Even I don't know what Bandit Nine is. <laughs> is. Is it change every every you know every year every time you get asked that question? Pretty much, you know. Um, but uh, how would I put it? It's really tough to say. Okay, well, let's, oh. let's say, so what was Bandit Nine when it first started, and then what is Bandit Nine now? Okay, so Bandit Nine, it's the same reason it still exists. I would say that's the only thing that's probably alive. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or stay the same is that I'm really bored with the stuff that I see on the street. Okay. Okay. It's really boring. I'm sorry. I, I don't want to take a shit on other people's work too, but it, I find it really dull and it's kind of cyclical. Yeah. So um, right now, vintage and heritage and you know retro seems to be all over the place. Okay, Actually, yeah. it's with most things right now. So we yeah. keep going in circles and circles and circles and we'll never, ever break out of it unless we do something drastic. That's why Band 9 exists. It's to go crazy. Gotcha. Break the norms. Break the norms. So that is still the reason it exists today. Now, whether or not I've stayed in that path, probably not, you know, because, you know, there are times when, you know, business is not that good. So you think that maybe the best thing to do is satisfy the masses. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that ends up being, and from experience, that is much more of a failure than actually doing your own thing and, and staying true, true to yourself in that. In that yeah, sense. yeah. yeah. It, it's it's crazy that you sort of mentioned that um, you know that sort of that bit of recycling is 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 what we're getting uh, a lot of. I actually wrote this down the other day. It's a Mark Twain quote, but it's yeah. basically. There's no such thing as a new idea. It is impossible. We simply take a lot of old ideas and put them into a sort of mental kaleidoscope. We give them a turn and they make new and curious combinations. We keep on turning yeah. and making new combinations indefinitely, but they are the same old pieces of colored glass that have been used through all the ages. So I, right. You know, it's, it's, um, I, I see it, you know, in things like uh, as simple as Netflix, you know, everything is sort of 80s themed from Stranger Things to, um, yeah. you know, sex education, that, that, those sorts of shows. Um, even, uh, yeah, I suppose like um, cars it's, and motorbikes and stuff, they, 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 they go through, like you said, those cycles where now we're going back to like these retro vintage looks and um, from yeah. clothing all the way, yeah. So I'll give you a really easy example, okay? Um, so electric motorcycles. Yeah. It's already a brand new opportunity, and yet we still put it in an old form factor. Yeah, you understand what I mean? Like, yeah, go, no, it, electric motorcycles even have uh, fake faux gas tanks. Yeah, why? <laughs> that makes absolutely no sense to me. So until we find a better form, I would say. I, I told my guys this is that I don't want to jump into the mo uh, electric motorcycle game until we find something worthy, you know, of yeah. the actual technology. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll chat about e-bikes later. Cause I, I want to get through like sort of chronologically your bikes and then, and then the future. Sure. Um, so now that you're in bandit nine, there's a mm. lot of engineering obviously that goes into, you know, making a vehicle, a, a motorcycle, Yep. Where is that? Um, 
is is there a sort of a constant tension between the artists the vision sort of you know uh, your 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 graphics and all that sort of stuff versus the engineers who go you know like well we can't do that because you know <laughs> physics or we can't do that because gravity yeah gravity yeah exactly so sure. wh- where do you um you know where do you find the harmony in between the artists and the engineers that is a good question too how would i put it i think i mean okay how would I put this? that's a good question and i don't know how to put it <laughs> we're, we're like sensible enough not to go too far okay you, you know what i mean so if somebody brings a hovercraft idea we have no idea how to make it or the expertise to do it then i'd probably say no yeah you know what i mean um unless this guy's really done his homework <laughs> yeah. or said like this runs on you know garbage or corn you know yeah yeah <laughs> I, I don't know how to help you there that, that's just not going to work but um generally speaking the designs that i've seen so far adhere to physics yeah. um I actually brought on engineers to push us out of reality. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, in a question, yeah. Yeah. So right now, I, I, I mean, th- this is recent. So in the last couple of years, I, I thought we were in a bit of a rut, you know. Um, and I brought on engineers to kind of get us out of that rut so that we can try to do crazier things. and. So they're basically making crazy ideas happen gotcha. like that instead of, instead of the other direction where they kind of hone you in. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, and, I, and also like I, as artists, like you don't know in the engineering realm, what the capabilities are now because, you know, technology evolves at such a rapid rate that you probably have access yeah. to now things to, you know, uh, manufacturing processes, whatever it may be that you wouldn't have had access to 10 years ago when you started yeah, I should have gone to, I should have paid attention in class. Huh? <laughs> these, guys, um, these guys school me, you know, on a daily basis. So yeah. I enjoy working with them. Um, and I'm really surprised what it's, I feel, I, feel, I feel like every time I talk to them, I went into the wrong profession because they can actually make stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Not they, like they me. They turn the concepts into reality. Uh, yeah. yeah. So it's kind and, of nice. Yeah. Is is the um, work environment, is that like, are people sitting, you know, like sort of shoulder to shoulder, maybe not with COVID, but, uh, you know, like that, that in a sense, like shoulder to shoulder, like, you know, you're in front of each other, an artist is there going, hey, check this out. Engineer goes, that's awesome. Let's try to make that. Is it, is it as sort of uh, organic as that? Or is it more of a, you know, like. Well, like, yeah. physically, it's not like that. Um, we're kind of, how would I put it? Everybody kind of works remotely. Okay know what i mean and then we will huddle together when it's really really important but otherwise i give everybody the freedom to work on their own pace yeah um, and they are more than free to call each other up and share ideas and things like that yeah but uh, generally speaking it's pretty focused man um so we're working on maybe about two projects at one particular time okay so, for example the engineers are working on what is being built today the designers are what's are working on things that are going to be built tomorrow. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So engineering is always just trying to catch up, kind of, not catch up, but 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Just different cycles of operation. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And, and um, the way that you run it and the reason for the nine, it was uh, that each, each project you have, there's nine pieces. Is that how you, how you run it? Yeah. It's uh, it was. Okay. So when we first started, okay. Um, we were obviously we're in China. So we had this made in China label, which is not the greatest label. I yeah. would say. So one of the ideas that I had was, okay, um, we need to look a little bit more pro than this, right? So I came up with this idea of creating limited edition motorcycles. So that's how the nine came to be. Okay. Because one motorcycle, you look like a hobbyist. <laughs> yeah, okay. Right? Yeah. Nine, all of a sudden, looks like a limited edition product. Yeah. You know? Nice. I can say that in public, should I? <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, yeah that's, that, that's how it, you know, that's how it actually came to be. That yeah. uh, limited to nine pieces. Okay. Is, uh, do you keep one of the nine or um, are they all either out there in the wild or in a, in a museum? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're usually out there in the wild. I, I never get to keep my stuff. And, yeah. and I'm okay with that. I'm okay yeah. with that. I, I barely ride myself, so. Well, now with the, with the little one, you're, you're probably in a, uh, you know, a soccer yeah. mom vehicle. Um, so on that, so out in the wild, so because, so for people who, uh, might not have heard of Bandit 9, or if you have, um, or you're tuning in now and you're seeing them, they, they, you know, genuinely look like pieces of art, but they are functioning motorbikes. So what's the, how do you make them? Um, and they're sold all over the world. So in terms of road legalities and like, um, what do you call it? Like, yeah, how do you how do you make them road legal? Like, are they are they? Can you actually just you know when you buy one, use them out on the road, or do you have to go through a bunch of different checks? That is a good question too. So it really depends. Um, unfortunately, we cannot guarantee that they will be road legal. Every state, every country, every city, every you know, every whatever locality, you know, yeah. has a different road rules, and it's really hard for a small shop. Um, to be able to address all of this. Sure. Okay. And it's 90% the reason cars look the way they do. Yeah. You know, that's why they look boring because they have to follow everyone's rules. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so with that said, uh, how do we get it on the road? For example, in the United States, we have to go through or use loopholes. Okay their system uh i'll give you an example so one is i think vermont you can register the motorcycle in vermont without testing it or without you know epa or dot approvals okay right yeah yeah oh, go ahead register it there and some people really really do this okay <laughs> um another way to do it is to declare the vehicle as a vintage or an antique or classic yeah there's customs just declare it at that and then you're good yeah so we have to make sure that our buyers are aware of this and they're okay with it. Sure. And uh, what about anything. things like uh, VIN numbers or chassis numbers? Like, are there, do you, uh, be, so from my understanding from what I've read is that they're usually, uh, the, the motorbikes that you've made so far have been based around a certain engine and, and, and you know, ch chassis. And then you guys obviously do the sculpting and the amazing work around that sort of central piece. Um, so do you keep that original factory VIN and, 
and chassis number, if that makes sense? We do, we do. Um, but this is, again, something that's not universal. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, uh, there are a lot of Western countries that uh, adhere to the 17 digit, I think it's 17 digits, um, right. bin number. So each number represents something, uh, manufacturer, country, uh, date, things like that, uh, uh, class. So our motorcycle, uh, some motorcycles, however, do not adhere to that. You know, so for example, um, I can't think of a nation right now, even Vietnam, they will not adhere to the 17 okay. digit. So um, we will keep it, obviously, uh, especially if you want to register in the United States, the numbers and digits are all still there. But for background checks, like for these things like that, they, they can't. Yeah. It doesn't follow their system. Okay, gotcha. Um, but they do have all the importation documents and customs clearance that uh, prove provenance. Yeah, so I guess, I mean, the onus is, is on the buyer really is to, you know, sort out yes. their, their side of the house and, and, and figure out their, their local road rules and stuff. Um, so, so I know you do a lot of, uh, I don't know if it's a partnership or a, you know, strategic relationship or something with uh, Royal Enfield, uh, Triumph, uh, those sort yep. of companies. Now, you know, when, when you hear those sorts of companies, you, you think they're very heritage-based uh, brands. Um, you know, there's a distinct look about them. Uh, we were just chatting about, you know, that, that sort of retro look. Um, but I suppose if you've never really deviated from that, that, that is your look. It's not really a retro look. It's just your, your DNA. Um, where, how did that conversation start up? Like, you know, with a, where your bikes look just out of this world, you know, future, and then you have these yeah, heritage-based companies. What was the conversation like when you first started with them? How would I put this? Fortunately, it's easy. You know what I mean? Um, it's, uh, don't take this as a, how would I put this gently? <laughs> <laughs> um, they basically approach me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or they don't approach me, sorry. They approach the company, Band and I, right? Yeah. And at that point, you kind of already know what we do. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, uh, I don't need to explain to them, you know, we're going to take your engine or your or your bodywork and just completely ignore what you've done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go do my own. But uh, I do reiterate that before we start. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but they already, they're already prepared for that. Sure. Uh, I, I just want to make sure that I don't do anything offensive. <laughs> I mean, it, it, so, is, it would be pretty cool, like, having, you know, them side by side going, like for me, so I, I, I used to own a motorbike and I'm not a huge, you know, I don't have a working, great working knowledge on motorbikes, but Royal Enfield was always, you know, they, what well, they started off making like a lot of companies making bicycles, the war hit, yeah. then they made, I think they made guns or ammunition or something like that. Um, hence cool. the, the bullet, like the, the name, the bullet for one of the bikes. So like yeah. seeing that sort of, uh, you know, heritage and then seeing one of their bikes side by side with one of your bikes would be like just phenomenal, you know, where, where we came from and then where we could potentially be going is uh, would, would, that juxtaposition would be pretty cool. Yeah. 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 It's, they're really cool. I, I must say, you know, what's funny, the, all the companies like Triumph, Harley Davidson, um, Royal Enfield, especially also, um, and all the other builders, like me, they're all very, very cool people. Very, very friendly. It's, uh, it's great. It's the people. 
yeah. like social media that are really terrible. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So to answer your question, I don't really have to talk or convince them to do something crazy. They want this. Sure. You know what I mean? Um, it's, it's the other people that are like not so welcoming, I would say. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of like artists get asked, you know, like what's, what's your process? That, that sort of cliche question. Um, I won't word it in that sort of way, but what's the, from maybe conception, like from, I'd imagine maybe you have something that you see in your head or you, you jot down on a piece of paper or something like a silhouette to start off with, whatever it may be from that to the final project. Can you break yep. down like the, the amount of hours or days, months that, that, yeah, that, that it takes? You know, I'll be honest with you. Okay. Um, I brought on two designers um, because I'm completely tapped out. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> is empty right now. At least that's how I feel. Okay. And uh, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I can still guide uh, the designers, I think. Yeah. But for me, I felt personally tapped out uh, after eight, nine years of doing it by myself. Yeah. Um, you know, it is exhausting in, in, in a sense. Um, it's great when the idea comes to you, and many times it doesn't. Yeah. You know? Well, this was like writer's block, you know, that this is probably the yeah. more conventional yeah. like, thing that everyone knows about. Sure. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. It's like writer's block and it doesn't matter if I doodle and doodle and doodle all day. Yeah. If I don't, if it doesn't come to me in my brain, like it's a very clear vision, I don't do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not like advertising where um, quantity where, where you'll find quality in quantity. So a thousand ideas over and over and over and over and I'll spot, you know, the magic. Designing automobiles for me is completely different. Yeah. You know? is, is there something uh, in your earlier, maybe, um, I don't know, sketches or an idea that you had that you couldn't build because like we mentioned before, the tech wasn't there or the, the manufacturing processes weren't there. Um, that you look at now and you go, hey, maybe we'll, we might revisit that. Yeah, so I have a lot of, um, I would call them dead babies. <laughs> you know, um, and these dead babies are buried in my notebooks yeah. somewhere. Um, and usually I, don't, I choose not to pursue them because um, maybe it's a confidence thing as in, I'm not so confident that this will be a hit. Yeah. Or number two, our um, limitations. You know, the craftsmanship is not there yet. Uh, tech, I'm not so worried about, or I was not so worried about. Now it's a bit of a concern. Okay. Um, but yeah, I do have a lot of dead babies that are waiting to be resurrected. I, I might take a look at it again, but I don't do it too often. So you don't, don't you don't dwell on it too often yeah no not really not really like like i i really it's more of an instinct thing for me yeah you know when i see it i'll be like yep let's go do it let's okay do it it's not, it's not a checklist for me of uh does it um 
is it something consumers really want? I, I don't really function that way. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> um, in terms of, uh, so with Bandit Night, like the, you know, I, I'd probably equate your bikes to more of a luxury item. Like they're not, um, yeah. you know, they're, they're definitely not built for the masses. Um, yeah. Had you ever thought about doing a bike for the masses and scaling it up? Um, yes. You have, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think about that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I think about it all the time, actually. So the economics, people don't understand this too. And it's, it's, we have to save this for another day, but the economics of building a motorcycle is really complicated. So yeah. for example, a limited edition run of nine pieces is definitely cheaper than trying to do a mass produced product. Sure, yeah. Okay. Um, you know, you have to prep machines and factories for these things and you're building in quantity. So imagine, yeah, obviously there's uh, economies of scale where every motorcycle costs less, the more orders you, you know, yeah. the more orders you get. So, uh, you know, if you're, but it's usually in the quantities of 50 to 100 yeah. minutes, that is extremely expensive. Yeah. The kind of capital that you would need to do that. And you don't know if it's going to be a hit. I was going to say, so, like to, to sell on a small scale, you know, you like you and your team like what you see and, and um, like the, a guaranteed sort of everyone on the team who's at Bandit 9 will like what they produce, right? Like, yeah, but, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, but not, you know, uh, there might not be, let's say 10,000 people that like it. You only really have to find like another nine because you're doing a nine run release. So like Precisely. there there are nine people in this world who, who like your bike. <laughs> um, and Precisely. And hopefully those nine people have a good bank account. Um, but, but when you're scaling it up to the, for the masses, not only are there economics of scale and stuff, but you also have to find the thousands of people who also like that bike, which I think is almost like the harder option. It is harder prospect there. It's definitely the harder option. So for me, it, it's more about catching whales. Yeah. Than fish, right. Sure. So, um, I know that uh, I'm pretty sure that, so for me, how would I put this? Our growth path right now is more about increasing value. Yeah. You know what I mean? Than volume. Yeah. So people go for, lots and lots of people go for volume, which is perfectly fine. Um, but ours is more value. So we're not building uh, Toyotas, we're building supercars. Yeah. Apple. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's, that's a different kind of animal altogether. But the mass-produced one, what was I going to say about this? It requires an infrastructure that we just don't have, or it's very, very hard to build. Like somebody has to be in charge of shipping. You know? Like let's say it, it's a success. <laughs> let's pretend it's a success. Uh, imagine having to ship 100, 1,000 motorcycles you know, per yeah. month. Completely different animal or an entirely different business that yeah. be taken care of. Uh, or all the parts have to be ordered and make sure our inventory is enough. To, you know, like sure. that. Yeah. yeah. All these little <laughs> one percenters that sort of add up. And, and, and yeah. even even going back to like the leg, legalities, like road legal bikes, you, you're, 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 it's more of your onus than 
to have them road legal than it is the way that you have it now. Um, and can you imagine answering emails? You know, yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. is this legal? How much is it? Oh, what's the tax? Yeah. Uh, can I get it in a different color? Like all these questions that yeah. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's why, like, you know, uh, uh, yeah, say, say what you want about the guy, whatever, Elon Musk, like, uh, you know, to be sort of, uh, you know, 10 years ago, Tesla was a laughing stock on, you know, on top gear, that sort of thing. And then now it's, yeah. uh, you know, you, you'll see one sort of everywhere you drive. Um, but for him to be competing against, you know, the likes of Toyota, Ford, these massive companies from the ground up is, is pretty impressive. Um, you know, his gigafactories and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. Qu- quite an amazing feat. Um, but again, like, like we were saying before, it's even though it's this, you know, super whiz bang technological marvel, it still looks like a car, still those sort of the boring design of a car. Yeah, the door handles come out and there's a big screen and, and all that sort of stuff. But yeah. e- effectively, it's, it's a, you know, it's a car. You look, you look at it from a distance, you wouldn't even recognize that it was a Tesla. Like, um, what about cyber like that? What's that? What, what do you like the Cybertruck? Oh man, yeah, the Cybertruck. Actually, you know what? That's uh, that does not look like a normal pickup truck. That's where I think he he uh, he really caught my attention was, especially when he does. Um, I think they did like a head to head with like a Ford. I want to say F one fifty or something, and it just looks like it's out of this world. You know, that, that, that was pretty cool. But again, it's yeah. it's not actually out in the roads yet, um, from my understanding. So yeah. you know, when it gets to the road uh, ready phase, I wonder if it'll you know scale back a bit and, and maybe look a bit more safe. Yeah, so for me, that's the kind of balls that I like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, just do it. Yeah. Let's go for it. That's great. Exciting. New things. Yes. Not tiny little incremental changes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And is, is that what you're like? You, you said you think about doing one for the masses. Would it be something that is maybe playing it a little safe, or are you going to stick to your guns and go? I don't know. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the latest motorcycle that we just released is I would put at the elite end of the spectrum. And okay. then hopefully uh, next year we'll create um, the more mats. Gotcha. The, the latest one being the Aquamarine, is it? Yeah, Supermarine. Super, yeah. Supermarine, sorry. Yeah, Supermarine. Um, I was reading, uh, I think, something you posted on about just the taillight on that just being, you know, like the, the tech that goes into the taillight alone was fascinating. Yeah, it's pretty complicated. I got us. <laughs> I don't like social media. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, on social media, people will just shoot their mouth off, okay? Um, you know, oh, I hate that. I hate this or whatever. This doesn't work. But actually, a lot of thought and planning and engineering go into it. You know, yeah. there are people focused just on that little tiny light. Yeah months and it's insanely complex and you know people are just anyway i'm gonna stop ranting about social media <laughs> the, the, i mean uh you know trolls will be trolls i suppose yeah um i mean yeah it's, it's one thing to get like constructive sort of uh you know oh hey why don't we make that a bit more squared off or whatever it may be as opposed to like that's shit or this is, uh, do, do you get a I'm, lot of um from the purists yeah. out there do you get a lot of hate Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> it, I get hate mail. It's a, uh, it's uh, an annual thing. I guess. <laughs> no, it's um, the traditionalists do don't don't like me. 
that's yeah. for sure. Um, and then there's, it, it's polarizing. That's, that's how I would put it. You either okay. really hate it or you do love it. Yeah. Um, and as long as there's people that like it, we'll keep our doors open. Yeah. You know? And, and on that, like on your customers and stuff, what, what's the, what's the demographic? Like, uh, are they, you know, sort of your millionaire crowd, um, with, with cash to burn or do you, if you had a person who goes, you know, I've saved X amount over X amount of, you know, months or whatever. Um, um it's, um, it's a wide spectrum, I would say. So okay, 90% yeah. of clients are definitely in the U S um, yeah. next would be Europe. The next one would be like, Middle East and Japan and things like that, but um, it's still a wide spectrum. So we've got college students, you know, um, buying old, bikes. Yeah, yeah, buying motorcycles. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay, yeah, wow. And all the way to what do you call this? Uh, to like royalty. Okay. We've had like um, I don't remember which Middle Eastern country, but it's like some Saudi Middle Eastern royalty. Yeah. <laughs> that wow. Yeah, so it, it's a wide spectrum, I would say. Do Do they ever uh, like send you photos like of, of the bikes in the wild? They do. They do. Uh, the Americans do yeah. mostly. Um, so I get a lot of shots of that. What's the What's the coolest place you've seen one of your bikes? Like outside of maybe like photo shoots and stuff. Like actually, you know, driven or yeah, out in the wild as opposed to being in a part of a shoot. You know, uh, Le Mans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So our motorcycle was there. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. Uh, I, obviously, I don't know if they drove it or raced it, but probably not. But probably just drove it around. Uh, yeah. But I thought that was cool. And seeing it in Paris is, oh, yeah, man. Seeing it in Paris is pretty cool. Yeah, nice. It's pretty. Yeah. All right. So present day, you've got the Supermarine. Now, mm-hmm. to me, when I looked at it, I was like, for some reason, it just evoked like a sense of like. Uh, maybe that's not the right word but just remind me of like nature in a way like do, do you get a lot of your inspiration from like i was looking at um the b2 bomber randomly the other week and i was like there's a there's a on google if you type it in b2 bomber and the the uh, side profile of it is exactly like a peregrine falcon um yeah yeah that's and there's true. a lot of there's a lot of that where like you know cars or vehicles are based on things that are in nature was, was that right. based on anything uh natural or was it just something that came up like in your head I'm trying to remember what the term is. I think it's biomimicry is the official term for okay, stealing. There we go. Didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, me neither. <laughs> uh, I was watching YouTube and I landed on that. Uh, I forgot what it was. Um, no, I don't really borrow from nature too often. I okay. Superman was the first one. Usually we're, we do a lot of space stuff. I was going to say, yeah, all, all like you, the Eve. Uh, is it the Nero? Is that? The first yeah. one you did, yeah, Nero, uh, and yeah. then Dark Side, like you know, they're, they're all very, yeah, Spacey. like uh, sci-fi esque, if you will. Um, and then, yeah. and then that's why I was like, with this one, when it when it first sort of popped up on my feed, I was like, damn, that looks uh, very different yeah. to sort of what you guys have had for the last few iterations of your bikes. Yeah, so that's the how would I put this? That's the first kind of nature-inspired motorcycle that we've done. Okay, really. Yeah. Uh, in the future, hang on, let me think about this. Are we back in space? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, it remains to be seen. You know, I, I don't think, I don't really think about it that way. Yeah. So I'm more, 
for lack of, I don't mean, how would I put this? No pun intended, but I, I gravitate towards um, space stuff. Yeah. No. Was that just a fascination, like, you know, uh, upbringing wise, like, um, or just your no, style, I, I suppose? Like, maybe. I, I really don't know. I mean, I've always, yeah, I, I've been always fascinated in space, naturally. Yeah. Um, but I like the, the spirit of it. I think that's what actually I'm trying to get at is the yeah. spirit of um, space, you know, doing things that are impossible. Sure. You know, going to the moon, to Mars, these are fantastic things to try and achieve, you know, yeah. setting up or, you know, um, getting energy from the sun. Like, and I'm not talking about solar plants here. I'm talking about in space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. So I, I love that, that kind of pioneering spirit. Yeah. Uh, about it. So I guess that's, that's why I, I tend to do more spacey looking uh, pieces. I think um, the, with with motorbikes especially you know that whole pioneering spirit there there's a bit of a um maybe like a visceral reaction that you probably get as a you know going into the unknowns um yeah. which you also in my opinion get when you're on a motorbike uh compared to being in a car uh and you know there's a lot of heritage back and forth as well you know when you think about watches for instance like the first watch gone to space with the was the omega speedmaster which is also a chronograph that they use to time, uh, you know, cars and motorbikes going around a racetrack, you know, so there's a lot of um, sort of similarities between the two and it's, it maybe your, your bikes are like the sort of that, that synergy between space and, you know, uh, motorcycle heritage, I suppose. Um, yeah. That's right. That's right. I mean, I'm a watch guy too. Are you a watch guy? I, I, I don't have the, the money for watches but i, I love my watches though like I, I there's a there's a show called hodinky on um on youtube yeah, absolutely love their stuff uh you know talking watches yeah. yeah it's really cool um watches are something i've been trying to also inject into the motorcycle okay um, yeah yeah speedometer you know this is another thing that's just freaking begging to be changed and nobody is doing it i don't know why this is so obvious to me yeah <laughs> like Maybe I just don't look at motorcycles enough or something, but quite frankly, this is something that needs to be changed. Yeah. And learn from the watch industry, if you ask me. Uh, cars are doing wonderful things with speedometers, but uh, bikes are a complete letdown. Just stagnant. Um, what was your question? I forgot your question. <laughs> I, I don't even remember my question, man. But uh, yeah. it was something about... Um... Something oh, you were, we, we went about sci-fi about your influences and, and, and that and then i went into a whole another tangent um on watches though now that we're on watches um you yeah. know in, in cars you know they, they've like mercedes has had the iwc as their sort of clock in in a lot of their vehicles for ages um have you ever considered making a car yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> this, this, this is in like oh, a no. top secret uh folder yeah, it's in my top secret folder. Fuck it, let's, let's talk about it now. So my game plan really is to venture into, so this is what I want, I didn't want to say anything. Um, I'm going to try and do a car next year because nice. um, like I told you, um, motorcycle, electric motorcycles, is just not, I, I'm shaking my head right now. Yeah. My readers won't. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not working for me. Okay, putting uh, an old form factor into uh, new tech or putting 
tech into an old fact, uh, foreign fact, it doesn't work for me. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of opportunities with uh, electric, um, the, the power plant. Yeah. And it's not in motorcycles, I think. Uh, right now, it's in cars. Gotcha. Is, is that also capacity and your know, charge, uh, you know, mileage, all that sort of stuff? Yeah, precisely. Speed, range, yeah. uh, the infrastructure, you know what I mean? Yeah. Are all tailored towards cars right now. Yeah. If, you know, trust me, man. Electric motorcycles, uh, the range is super short and it takes like 12 hours to charge it. Yeah. The hell it. No, it's, it's just not, yeah, not practical, is it? It's not practical. Um, um, cars. So obviously, the the what what I love about motorbikes is the fact that you're kind of you're outside in the environment in the elements. So in terms of design, you're really having to design uh, that you know like you, you're not having to, there's no cocoon that you're having to design the inside of a cabin for. What um, I'd imagine as a I won't, I won't call you a perfectionist, but like there's a th- way more components just within the inside of a car compared to the overall of a motorbike. Is that going to drive you absolutely nuts? Like, you know, it's 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 not it's not even just about like the ergonomics of how a seat, like maybe your steering wheel, like the, all the dials, uh, the controls, like all that okay. stuff. Like, is, is that going to drive you crazy? <laughs> that, that's a really good question. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, why am I telling you this? Why are you telling this? <laughs> this is my uh, interrogation uh, interview oh, side as a police officer. Um. The reason I never touched cars before is precisely because of the interior. Gotcha. You know, um, we can do the exterior, no problem, but the interior is a completely, you know, bonkers. It's going to be bonkers. <laughs> all the tiny little switches and details and the way information is displayed, all of this requires attention. Yeah. Um, however, what we've got in mind is exactly what you just said. So I don't want to build a car where you're trapped in a cocoon. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Okay. <laughs> or a teaser. <laughs> yeah, teaser. You heard it here not, first, folks. Exactly. So the car's not going to, our car is not going to be like that. Okay. It's going to keep you, how would I put it? One with the environment. Yeah. Um, and it won't have an interior. Let's put it that way. Ooh, <laughs> a car man. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And um, I just told my guys actually just yesterday, I said, forget the instrument panels, you know, pretend like you're still on a motorcycle where, you know, these things are not bothering you. The leather's not bothering you. All the little designs and gadgets, they're non-existent. All it is is the pure driving experience. Yeah. That's it. So um, let's see. Let's see. That's the game. 2022 nice um lastly about bandit nine and then we'll, we'll move on to your your next project um what sure. what would you say your like um ooh, like, maybe mission statement or ethos like you know like apple had think different nike has just do it what's what's the bandit nine it doesn't have to be necessarily just a catchphrase but like what's your ethos as a company such a good question and something i've been really thinking about over the years, and I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> you know, I don't have an answer for you. I, I, I don't know how to break it and distill it. So uh, 
you know, just do it, think different are very distilled ideas, but contain quite a large idea at the same time. Sure. Yeah. Um, So with Bandit 9, I I don't know. I I need an agency to figure that one out for me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's certainly Um, like, obviously, like you were saying before, you know, pushing the limits of what's possible, changing the, you know, the status quo, that sort of thing, I suppose. But um, yeah, that's I'd, I'd maybe say at the pace that you've been going at for the last 10 years, like that hard work, that grit, I think is, is, has to be included in that as well. Exactly. There's, there's a lot of things to be that it needs to encompass. And maybe it's because I haven't sharpened what bandit nine is yet. Yeah. You know, it's possible. That's why I cannot distill it into something uh, concise. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but Yeah. Uh, let's see, man. Give me some time. I'll, I'll, uh, we'll call back after, after you release your car then. <laughs> um, okay. So, you know, you, you, you killed it in the ad world. You, uh, are killing it in the custom motorcycle. Um, uh, what do you want to call it? Is it like a bespoke motorcycle world or what? what? Yeah. Sure. Bespokes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then some, you know, just decided to open up a gallery. I did. I did. <laughs> Talk, talk uh, me about the um, the thought process behind that. Uh, there's no thought. <laughs> <laughs> I did it because um, it was like uh, I read into some omens. Whether or not I read it correctly is remains to be seen. <laughs> it's still quite new. Yeah. Uh, so I remember uh, this is not again not in chronological order. Okay. So I went to a guy's place, a friend's place. Um, he wanted to show me his new office. I was like, this is really cool. And he told me that um, he jumped on the opportunity because rent was low because of the pandemic. Okay. So I'm like, I stored that piece of information. Uh, two weeks later, I started reading a book, which is called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday, um, which, you know, which basically is about or one of the chapters, like never let a good crisis go to waste. Right. Right. Pandemic. So there's another one. Uh, the third one was, what the hell do you call it? Oh, another friend of mine was moving her photography studio or was looking for a new space. Right. And so she asked me to come by and you know, check out this other place. And I was like, okay, sure. I'll come. <laughs> and I fell in love with the location. Right. So I, I can't show you, but it's this location. Yeah. Um, so that was another omen. And the last omen was, I, I, I felt like there was a void, especially in Saigon. You know, most Asian countries, they value mathematics, uh, science, and all that jazz, right? Yeah. But very little focus goes into art, the arts acting, um, you know, music, uh, yeah. drama. Um, so I thought about, I, I added all these, you know, omens, <laughs> call it omens, and, you know, came up with the idea of the gallery. And the purpose of the gallery is not necessarily to make cash, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's more like introduce a different kind of art or a different kind of world um, to the people here. Yeah. Um, and 
for me, I, I don't view it as a, I, I do, yeah, obviously it's a gallery, but it's more of um, an educational tool. Okay, yeah. So, so like maybe somewhere somebody can come to uh, even, not, not necessarily even be inspired, but just be exposed to, you know, just starting off yeah. with like, um, you know, work that they might not necessarily have seen and uh, in, yeah. in what I would imagine with your style in a pretty non snobby sort of environment, like a lot of galleries are uptight and, you know, How did you know that? <laughs> what do you mean? Did I say that somewhere or did you find that? How did you know that exactly? That is exactly what I'm trying to fight. Okay. Yeah. Well, no, I'm just like, I, I feel like, so I've obviously gone on the website, um, which is an awesome website. Um, but also just your personality. Like, I mean, I, I, you're not the kind of guy who's going to, you know, close off the door to, uh, I don't like using this term, but like, you know, the common people and, and only invite in the one percenters, you know what I mean? Like, um, it, did I put that on the website? <laughs> I don't know. Did you, I'm, let me have a, have a look now. <laughs> maybe you did. Maybe I, maybe I read it somewhere, but that's exactly, exactly the right the reason why I started the gallery is because I took a look at the other guys here, actually everywhere in the yeah. world. And it's just, I hate it. I yeah, hate a pre- it. Pre- like a pretentiousness about. Yeah, pretentious champagne drinking uh, idea yeah. uh, of a gallery. You know, art does not belong to the 1%. Yeah. I believe that artists should get paid, yes. But, I think it should be free for them to see and enjoy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I hate it when art galleries scan you, you know, to see what you're wearing and if you can afford it. Um, and if you're, you can't afford it, they won't entertain you. That I just cannot handle. And that is what I'm trying to change yeah. and fight. And I'm so sure I'm going to get shit for this too. So I got <laughs> shit in the motorcycle world. I'm going to get shit <laughs> in the art. But I think with with art though, like uh, you know, there ha- there certainly has been a resurgence of of just that. Where um, I don't know if maybe it sparked from um, you know the Occupy Wall Street sort of ethos or mentality, where you had like your Banksies sort of pop up in the wild, you know, where in random streets where people, you know, uh, it doesn't have to be in the gallery to to be art, obviously. So that was yep. that sort of mentality. Um, you know, me coming sort of from recently from Melbourne. There's a lot of street art, lots of um, walking tours that you can take to see art, various artists and stuff. So I think it's um, that sort of turning of the tide is is certainly has been brewing for a while now. Um, yeah. but, but to have it in a formal, I, I air quotes, formal setting like you have where it's an actual physical gallery, a brick and mortar yeah. style gallery, that's pretty cool to see. Um, yeah. And, and how, is it also like, are a lot of the artists that have their work on display, are they friends of yours or um, are they completely new artists that just wanted a place to, to put their stuff and you guys managed to get together? How does that work? Yeah, so <laughs> I built the gallery in less than two months, man. <laughs> really signing contracts, registering the company, registering the name, um, shipping all the pieces here, wow. uh, renovation, uh, branding, all that shit. I did that in two months. Jeez. I don't know how I did During the pandemic? Yeah, and my wife was pregnant too. Cool, nice one. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I went beast mode for two months. Um, and the only, I, I knew I had to get the gallery open before the kid came out or yeah. I would not. Okay, 
So that's exactly what I did. So I went nuts. And the only way I can get artwork in the gallery in less than two months is to use people that I know, not use people, find people that I know. Yeah, or show, showcase the, the people's work, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So these guys are old. They are artists, man, no doubt, okay? I met them through the ad, ad world, you know? Yeah. So these are photographers that have been in the industry for like decades. But they've got side projects that are really incredible as well. Cool. Um, so from fashion to sculptures to photography. Uh, yeah. Yeah, nice. That's, that's amazing. Um, so uh, you mentioned the, the, your little one. How have things changed now that you've got a little one? Have you, um, you know, before we had our kids, I was like way, just way more selfish with my time. Like I could, you know, stay at work a bit longer. Um, I could put in to do various, like, you know, put my hand up to do various things that I, I just wouldn't yeah. do now. Um, have you toned back that sort of, uh, not work ethic, but, you know, if you, if you had to split your time up differently now? So, fortunately, how would I put this? The ad industry at the time, at least when I worked, it was, it just consumed Right. So I would work super late, get there early. Um, I'd give up weekends and holidays and birthdays, anniversaries, Christmas, whatever you name it. Yeah. Um, I told myself, uh, as soon as I get out of here, that I'm going to prioritize what I want to do. So um, the kid did not really change that too much for me because, you know, um, Yes, I enjoy what I'm doing, but I also want to make sure I carve out time for myself. Yeah. You know, especially for my wife too. Time to read late night, for example. Yeah. <laughs> These are, I, I flipped the script, you know, sure. so working out, I, I did that early on. So now, you know, I've had some practice and family um, comes first. Yeah, pretty smooth trans- transition then with that, with that sort of practice. Yeah, but uh, with work-wise, I'm a lot more, yeah, naturally you're older. You know? I'm, yeah. a lot, I'm a lot more organized and I'm quicker too. You know? So yeah. um, I don't need to stay late anymore. That kind of thing. I, um, I was listening to, I don't know if you know, Jocko Willink. Um, he was a former Navy yeah. SEAL. Yeah, he runs his own awesome. amazing podcast. But he, he has just his hands in so many different things from, uh, you know, making like American made jeans to like uh, supplements to gyms to, you know, his podcast, all sorts of things. And he talks about uh, something that he learned from the military was decentralized command. So like, he's got all these projects going on and he's, you know, effectively the heart of, of it all, but he doesn't make the little decisions uh, that, you know, it, it doesn't need to come to his attention. Like all the emails, he doesn't even have to deal with. He, he'll, he'll have people who are experts in various fields. Like you, I suppose you did hiring engineers, hiring amazing artists, that sort of thing. And you can make big decisions, but you don't necessarily have to be there for every single decision-making you know, process. And because of that, he can have time for his family and, and, and all that sort of stuff. Is that sort of kind of what you've created for yourself uh, when you say you've, you've, you've flipped the script, uh, script a few years ago or, or, you know, by accident, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, not consciously. Yeah. Yeah. It's not as cool as, um, labeling it um, decentralized command. I'm going to start using that. <laughs> you do it. <laughs> so good. Um, but yeah, I happen to naturally um, decentralize uh, command. Yeah. So 
I'm, I've never been a micromanager. I've been a quality controller. Okay. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So I empower my guys to do whatever the hell they want to do. You know, yeah. and my job is to make sure that it's just quality before it goes out to the public. Right. That kind of thing. Um, you know, um, obviously it requires guidance and you know, pointing in the right direction, but I, I, it's, I, I don't micromanage. Yeah. And then on that, um, what's your, um, how do I say this? Um, like, what's your hiring process? So, you know, you've hired sort of engineers recently. Um, you've got people from a myriad of backgrounds. You know, how, yeah. does, how does your shop, your gallery differ from another motorcycle company or another gallery? Like, do you have, sure. yeah. So uh, it, it's all different, actually. Um, are you talking about the structure or generally what do I look for when I'm hiring people? Yeah, like uh, a bit of both, maybe. Like if, if you know, if somebody, like, ha, mm, I'll, okay. I'll word this in a way, like, so if you, you know, if, if you wanted to hire an engineer like you just recently did, what are you looking yeah. for um, in, in that person, in that engineer? So um, let me do structure first because it's easier. So yeah. Bandit 9, not structured like an ordinary motorcycle company. Um, so it's not like I've got guys that have a history of working in Honda or something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't want that actually. Instead, I'm looking for guys from aerospace. Okay. Um, that can create robots, drones, and things like that, that we can apply into the motorcycle. Right. I don't need, I don't need people to tell me stuff I already know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or, um, learning from others. Um, what am I looking for? So it, it's a bit tough. So engineering is a very, how would I put it? There's like a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. It's not really, I don't want to say it's not a creative thing. Yeah. You know, um, it is a creative thing too. My engineer's going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, you know, you know what I mean? It's like really mechanical. Yes. Yeah. Really right way to do things, wrong way to do things. Uh, for example, it's better, uh, one material is better than the other, right? Okay. So that's not really what I'm looking for. What I'm looking for is more of a character thing. Okay, yeah. yeah. It, it, do you have a bit of a culture in, in, in your companies? Like, um, you know, you hear about like a lot of consulting companies, like you're, uh, I don't know, like a BCG employee and there's like a certain culture that you are in BCG as opposed to you know Deloitte or something else like um is there a culture in Bandit 9 or in or in so, Bandero well we're, we're too small you know to uh, implement a culture okay officer. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, we're too small to have that sort of thing um basically the only rule is you know don't have a closed mind okay. and you will be surprised how many people have a closed mind yeah no, that's a good one. I like that. Um, um, go ahead. The one of the last questions, I suppose, is in your personal life. Do you put as much like scrutiny or emphasis in the things that you own? Like, are you, you know, we're yeah. talking about watches before. Like, are you? Do you look for a certain? Like, you have to have, you know, this particular brand or this particular, um, you know, motorcycle uh, helmet or you know, whatever it may be. Um, what do you like in that in that realm? Yeah, this is why my wife is going to leave me. <laughs> <laughs> Just a you know, watch collection. 
it's not like I collect toys. It's more like the word is, you're right, it's scrutiny. Yeah. So, um, for, uh, I'll give you an example. Just, I am the one that makes the bed. You know, like yeah. that kind of shit matters to me. And I like keeping like my wallet, my keys, and all my stuff in the same place. So I will yeah. never lose. That's just a glimpse into how crazy I get sometimes. <laughs> you know, I'm uh, I'm kind of disciplined in, in that in that sense. I I was never I wasn't always like this, by the way. Yeah. Okay, but by so, being like that, it sort of it, you eliminate like the need to have to know where things like you know if if you've got a full on day right and you know your yes. wallet, your phone, your keys are in the exact same place. I even have a like a little tray I call it like my EDC tray, like an everyday carry tray. And I put every you know, things things that I need immediately in this, you know, just my yeah. my first line gear is what I call it. I'll have yeah. there, and it's I don't have to think about it. It's just one less thing to think about. So it just streamlines yeah, yeah. my day, right? Exactly, exactly my point, man. Um, so I don't understand how people cannot have these things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I'm like, so that's what the kid does for me. It cre- it creates chaos. Yeah, introduction of chaos. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. That's, that's what the kid does. Um, and I have to learn how to navigate that. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to material items like you're talking about, I'm pretty like, I, how would I put this? I, I want to buy something of quality. Yeah. Just once. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, uh, for example, if I buy uh, a dining table, because we just bought one. <laughs> we could get uh, a cheap one that does the job. Yeah. No, no problem. Um, but instead, I thought about it, you know, how many times are we going to really change this? You know, if the family grows bigger, then that means we have to add. Or if you need to entertain, that means we need a bigger table. Um, is this piece of furniture going to be nice if we ever decide to leave? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, Really, I, I said, okay, screw it. Let's bite the bullet. Let's get a really nice dining table instead. Yeah. We only buy once. Yeah, yeah. I, I completely. I, it was funny. Um, uh, last week, I was chatting to my buddy. He's he's in the SAS, um, and we were talking about just you know the the, the quality over you know quantity sort of uh, conundrum, um, and especially in gear like in the military and police where you want to buy that good quality item that's made well, because you don't want it to fail on you as opposed to something that you could, you know, it's cheaply made, but then it could fail you when you need it most. Yeah. Um, so that, that sort of, and, and, you know, going back, I suppose to sort of the, the Swiss watches or the luxury watches um, timepieces, mm-hmm. like, you know, back to the Omega Speedmaster, like the, the only thing that was functioning on that Apollo 13 mission was that watch that they used to time, you know, their, their, uh, their, their movements or whatever it was. Um, so you, you want stuff that lasts and that, that works well. Um, yeah. Cause I bought a lot of shit too. <laughs> yeah. you, you, have, like, you know, when you go down the depths of uh, eBay or Amazon, you have to buy some shit along the way. <laughs> I bought a lot of stuff that I, I, you know, like, Oh, I don't need an expensive thing. You know, I'll just buy this cheap shit. Yeah. But it's now that I keep buying this cheap shit when if I had just bought it the first time, I would have actually saved money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, all right, before we completely wrap up, so sure. tips for people who want to get into, um, 
I suppose any industry that you've been a part of, so either the ad game, um, you know, a startup or, you know, owning your own company, what, what's, I guess they're all different beasts. Um, but what's the one tip that you would give to people if, um, you know, if they're wanting to pursue a career either in the ad game, well, maybe we'll break it down. So in the ad game, what, what would your tips be, uh, starting up a business and then, um, just, yeah. I know what I'm going to say. <laughs> Get off social media. You know, yeah. No, I, really, this is what I would really suggest is get off social media or whatever it is, equivalent is. Just be yeah. quiet and do the work. Yeah. You know, put your head down and do what you got to do. So stop announcing, you know, how great you are or, you know, it doesn't matter. These things don't matter. Yeah. What matters is great. That's it. Um, work hard. Do you think? Um, I, I'm in complete agreement. Um, do, do you think being the the quiet one in the room, uh, like so, you're saying like let your work speak for itself, be true to yourself, that sort of thing. Do you think that that puts somebody in a position as opposed to like the the the, the louder person who might attract more attention and and, and as a result you know, might attract the intention of an employer. You mean, is it good to be quiet? Yeah. So I suppose like for me, right. So I, I'm naturally just a kind of a pretty chilled out, quiet kind of guy. Sure. But what I found recently, especially after leaving the police was that when I was looking for jobs and stuff, what I do is I jump on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. I'd look up like, you know, look at the companies that I wanted to work for people or whatever that I was interested in or followed on LinkedIn and then find like the HR department and just pick up the phone or send them an email and be like, Hey, looking for a job. Uh, you know, what's, what's the go. And so I'm still the quiet guy in the sense, I'm not really boasting about anything, but yes, see, uh, but I am, you know, I've got my accomplishments. I'm pretty comfortable with myself. And then I'm willing to step out of my shell in a, in a sense, and then make that phone call or make, send that email to the HR, you know, potentially in certain companies, the CEO of those companies. Um, yeah, is, is, is that what you mean by, you know, be, be the quiet, confident kind of person? Don't really... It, so I, I think that's the difference. So there's a difference between speaking up yeah. and posting. Yes, okay. You, you know, so I guess that's what I'm trying to say is, you know, stop posting your, I don't know, your promotion or accomplishments and, or how awesome you are and stop talking about that and just focus on... Um, doing the work the work and yes and whenever you speak hopefully it adds value <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing um rather than like i'm awesome i'm awesome trust me i'm great because yeah i'm pretty sure your employer will find out yeah okay. no, exactly. later you know so um yeah man that doesn't work for me. have you had anyone sort of just ring up and go hey i want a job daryl um, this is that's, that's a good piece of advice, man. That's that's a really, really good piece of advice. Is um, for me, pick up the phone. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm so sorry to keep talking about social media. Like, no, no, go for stop, it. Stop emailing. Stop texting. Stop. You know, doing that. Pick up the phone and call. Yeah, really, it's faster. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the side will actually appreciate it because it's faster. Yeah, and. And yeah, go straight to the, the person that makes the decision. No. Do, you, do you think that's not done more because people are weary? Like they, they don't think that there's going to be somebody on the other end of that 
phone? Maybe it's possible. Yeah. You know, it, I find it weird that people send me um, CVs or resumes on Messenger, on Facebook. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Uh, I, it might be because I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It might be because I'm a dinosaur, but people write their cover letters on there. Right. You'd be freaking surprised with, with what kind of crap I see nowadays. Man. You know, it's not professional. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, no, exactly. hundred percent. What's, what's next? Like a TikTok dance based on, uh, you know, what you've done in your past or in, in your professional career. Um, it, can you give me an example? Have you ever done that? Like, I assume you have, because we're talking about it, but picked up the phone, uh, and called, um, all the time, every yeah. day. So is, it, uh, is that how the conversation got started with, with, um, uh, Royal Enfield? Was that, or, or did they contact you? They, they really contacted me. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. But it's more like, okay, I'll give you an example. Okay. If I really wanted to work with Royal Enfield tomorrow, or I have this wonderful idea for Royal Enfield tomorrow, I yeah. will not just pick up the freaking phone and ask. Yeah. Okay. What I, yeah. Maybe I'll email and be like, hey, man, uh, are you free to talk on Wednesday? But I will get on the phone and speak with this guy. Yeah. Okay. Because there's something that, you know, even the phone, if, if I can meet you face to face, I would. Yeah. Um, yeah. But a phone is definitely better than an email. It's infinitely better than a text message and definitely better than Facebook Messenger. No, definitely. Okay. It's uh, like um, this podcast, like they're, they're, I've, I've had some guests on here that like, you know, not, it was just a matter of I, I, a lot of them don't have like their phone numbers publicly listed, but just send them, dropped them a line and went, you know, hey, this is what I'm about. Uh, here, have a listen. Do you want to come on? Uh, obviously, we had that personal connection, but um, heaps of other and and everyone's like, I think people are maybe scared about not having that same um, you know reception that, that they're putting out, um, and so maybe you're 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 a bit shy of, of doing it. But you know, the, what's no, what's right. the alternative? Like, you just get told no. You know, like what's the big deal? Like, yeah, I'm being a bit of a dick right now. Sorry. <laughs> you know, you're absolutely right. It's usually stems from a fear. Um, yeah. No, uh, it's pretty, I, I can understand why you would be afraid to, for example, email the CEO. Yeah. Right. Of a giant company. I, I get that. I get yeah. that. But from experience, they're the ones that actually write back. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. If I email um, Adobe, sorry, I can't think of it. Kind of work, <laughs> you know, somebody uh, a bit lower down the food chain. Surprisingly, I don't get responses. Then, yeah, it's always the CEO or somebody really high up that will respond to my emails. Yeah, no, nice one. I, I, yeah, I like that. Um, all right, we've already spoken about sort of the future, I suppose, of, of what you're doing, what you've got planned. Um, how about we end it off on, um, you know, we we're chatting before this podcast about resilience, uh, about your mindset what um yeah you know what was the you know through all the highs there's, there's got to be some lows obviously so on a low point like what yeah. what, what did uh you know what what got you through those low points that is a good question let me think of a low point okay yeah, yeah. and and this can be you know ad game um bandit van, oh, van daryl's very new obviously but you know any any time your professional career 
Have you heard about this book called Ego is the Enemy? I've heard of it, haven't read it. Okay. Check it out. Okay. Um, and this is another probably something good that pick up a book and read it. <laughs> yeah. You know, because they really, really at least help me. Okay. So there are these books like Think and Grow Rich, Ego is the Enemy. Um, fortunately, that I got my hands on early in life. So whenever I hit a low point, I always know that it's temporary. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, it's very rare that I will hit a low point and stay there. And, uh, 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 I, that, that's just not how I do things. Yeah. You know, I'll hit a low point, uh, learn from it, and move on to the next thing. Gotcha. Um, when it, that's with work, okay? Obviously, personal life is a different animal. Yeah, yeah. But with work, uh, yeah, just learn from your mistakes, man. You know, I, I mean, I'm sure you guys have all heard that before. <laughs> no, but yeah. I mean, like, there's a reason why some, you know, sayings or mottos just are, are eternal. Like, yeah, it, it's failure is not the opposite of success. I'm sure you've heard that too. It's not the opposite of success, it's part of it. Correct. So, you're fail a thousand times before you, you get, you know, as long as you're learning from it and don't yeah, repeat yeah. the same. Um, Perfect, man. Yeah. That is awesome. Um, cool. Yeah. Thanks again for doing this. Um, I'll 